for the week of April 3rd, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 579, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. How you doing, Michael? Are you, have you recovered from, from your big night out at the Grammys? I haven't recovered from the allergies I have. I'll be sniffling all through the show. Uh, every year, I only got allergies for pollen and stuff in my like 30s, I think. And so I'm still not used to it. Every year I sniffle and whatever for a day or two. And then I go, oh, allergies. <laughs> I realize, oh, I need, I need some anti-allergy meds. But this year, I don't know. I've taken Claritin and I've had to take Theraflu at night. I'm just really foggy. So if I'm even more annoying and tiresome than usual, blame it on the allergies. Is that why you're not, uh, you've dropped out of Coachella? Is that why you, you decided? That's right. But just for personal reasons. Yeah. Taron Egerton dropped out of a play in the West End. He's had a rough run. He was in a play called Cock. Um, pardon me, uh, but that's the name of the play. And it's not a play on words. And it's not a, it's an okay play, but I would have been interesting to see him on stage. He's with the actor, John Bailey. Is that his name from Bridgerton? Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah. that's sort of interesting. He got COVID. He fainted on like the first preview and hit his head. And now a doctor had to come on stage and take care of him. Uh, he's been out for like nine days, of course, because of COVID. And now he is, he has left the play for personal reasons. So I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, stressful being a big new star. Hopefully he's doing okay and is being healthy and people are getting him to get the care he needs, whatever that may be. But at Coachella, of course, the big news just announces that Kanye West is out. So he wasn't at yeah, the he, Grammys because he's been behaving uh, very scary online. And uh, of course, the man has bipolar. He needs help. He needs care. And he's out there in the world and making people money. And maybe people are pushing to do things that aren't healthy for him right now. I have no idea. But he's not with the Kardashian anymore. He's on his own. And he had to pull out of the Grammys for making death threats and abusive remarks about people from the Grammys and in his private life. And now he's pulled out of Coachella for personal reasons. So not sure what's going on there, but hopefully he too is getting the care that he needs. I love the way you're like, he's not with the Kardashian anymore. Just the one. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you're like, I'm taking the S off your name. That's it. I, pa out. I panicked. I panicked about which one it was. <laughs> but here's my question. I didn't know about all that. Maybe I just don't follow Kanye uh, as closely as I should. I had no idea he was making death threats to people. Yeah, he was, you know, in a video, he, 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 he mocked beheaded or something uh it's pete davidson is that his name from snl yes what yeah uh who's dating kim kardashian and so he, he made multiple you know well oh, it's just a joke it's on it's like no a it's not funny and b people watch that and think okay i'll help you out kanye so don't do that <laughs> and yeah. uh and he made uh racist comments about trevor noah uh oh, as host of the yeah. grammys uh so they're like yeah we don't need you here which is the way to go Yes, we'll talk so about would, that a would little you later be, on. Would you be going to Coachella? You're not going this year, right? I'm not going to Coachella this year. Uh, what I just, will you miss you know, the most? Probably Harry Styles and Billie Eilish and Maggie Rogers. Uh, it would have been nice to see Maggie Rogers. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's Hot Chip. You know, there's a ton of great acts. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, uh, which I know sounds like a funny name, but it, they're a really good group. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers. I would have loved to see Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, you know, there's really great groups, but just the yeah, Phoebe Bridgers is very good. It's just a, a it, it. You really need to be in shape. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, it's a marathon that whole thing, and just the whole thought of like, oh, then I have to find a, 
a, a place to stay and it costs $400 and uh, you know, it's just, yeah. I was like, you know what? Maybe this year I'll give it a pass. Well, I, I'd love to see Harry Styles. His new single is terrific, as it was. Yeah, I think so. he's a good musician. I like him. Yeah, he and hasn't made Billie a great Eilish. album yet, but he's had some good good songs. And, uh, you know, he'll have a great greatest hits album. And Billie Eilish is certainly very talented. She was yeah, certainly one of the high points of the Grammys, which we'll be getting to soon. But what else will we talk about this week? Well, actually, Michael, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are exhausted by the Academy Awards already. Okay, they haven't even happened for next year yet. And we're exhausted. So thank goodness the Grammy Awards are here. Oh, wait, uh, you know, that was last night. Well, look, next, we're going to have the Emmys next weekend. No, no, no. Actually, the Emmys aren't until September, but the Grammys <laughs> did happen. They, they happened, as I mentioned last night. We'll run down the winners, the show itself, how good a job the ceremony did at promoting music. And we'll try, we'll try to avoid jokes about, you know, off the top of my head, who hit who. Maybe. Uh, we've also got streaming news. Disney Plus is sure. It's it's a player. Let's face it. Well, with Encanto, uh, it's a player when it comes to movies. And yes, Amazon and Hulu have good stories to tell as well. But criticize Netflix all you want. They sure do turn out a lot of hits. On Inside Baseball, we'll briefly cover the latest fallout from the Academy Awards and ask the question, did the best film of the year side with Will Smith? Okay, we'll explain what that means. And by we, I mean, Michael's going to explain what the heck he means by that. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to Comscore in our show notes. We're looking for the full box office for the full week ending April 3rd. And the number one movie around the world is Morbius. It cost about $75 million to make. It stars Jared Leto, who did his best rock star uh, appearance at the Grammys because he's been in a band, too. And $84 million on its opening week. It made more than it cost. Always a good sign when a movie is there on opening week. So it opened strongly around the world. The reviews were mixed. And for those playing at home, if you're really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I have a friend who has been watching everything in order. Everything from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including the TV shows. And they were just about to catch up. They're like, oh, I got to watch Moon Knight. And then I got to watch the final Spider-Man. And then I'll be ready for Doctor Strange. And then here comes Morbius. But don't worry. While this is a Marvel movie, it's in the Sony Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not in the Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it won't cross over as such. And you don't have to worry about it. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. You've just got, you know, 10 episodes of Moon Knight and then uh, Doctor strange coming up in may i think yeah i believe so i think it's May. yeah, yeah so that's morbius that's the number one movie 84 million dollars this week at number two is rrr this is the indian telugu language action flick that had a big opening week it made another 47 million dollars this week i really want to get to it but it's three hours long and i and i'm so annoyed i have the AMC Pass and the Bollywood movie. This is this is a Telugu film. I shouldn't call it a Bollywood film, but this Indian films that they show at AMC are not covered by the pass. God knows why, but I have to pay full price for them after paying $25 a month. And I've barely even gone to one movie a month because of COVID. So I'm really annoyed. I'm really why, annoyed. Why why are they oh God? I'm 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 gonna they call not them covered. on that. The other thing is half the time when they have an old movie like Casablanca. 
that's not covered either. I'm like, why the hell would the 30th or 50th anniversary of, you know, white men can't jump or field of dreams or whatever, when, you know, they do those all the time and I'm sort of into it. They show them like two showings on a week. It's like, oh, you can get people out of the house to see a movie they could watch easily in their home. And it's not covered by the AMC pass. Why is that? So when they're well, if it's a fathom event, if it's, it's a not fathom a fathom event, event. it's just they're just no, showing a movie. Okay. It's not like, yeah. you know, somebody's there live. It's just they're showing Field of Dreams. Maybe there's some intro by AMC host or something for some of them. But so what? Uh, you know, yeah, it, I don't know. It if it's not make, a fathom event, then it should be. Then it's just basically a book. Well, film. Th- they, sh- they shouldn't be fathom events. Let's put it that way. Maybe they are. But that still seems ridiculous. You're trying to get me to come in for a 30 year old movie. I have a monthly pass. You're telling me, well, that doesn't count. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, what the hell am I doing here? Anyway, that's annoying. But RRR had a good second week, made $47 million. It's at $112 million and counting. At number three around the world, it's the noir detective take on the Cape Crusader. It is the Batman. Thank you very much. That made $38 million this week, and it passed $700 million worldwide. So this movie is profitable from box office alone because it cost maybe about $200 million to make. Then there's The Lost City with Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe. That made $27 million, a good hold in its second week. It's at $62 million worldwide. Sonic the Hedgehog had a good opening overseas. I'm sorry, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. This is Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and it made $26 million in a number of territories. I think it's about 50% of its overseas footprint. Boy, I would love it if somebody would show us like how much of the box office world is left for a movie to open. And that would be great to know, hey, it's made this money, but it's got 90% of the box office to go potential or 50% or 10%. It would give us a much better sense of how much farther these movies have to go. But Uncharted knows what it's like to map out what's happening down the road. Uncharted with Tom Holland made $16 million this week. That's at $373 million worldwide. Also a strong success. There will be an Uncharted 2, I'm sure. DreamWorks has a new animated film. It's called The Bad Guys. It made another $12 million this week. It's at $30 million worldwide. The Japanese anime film that opened up in North America, Jujutsu Kaisen O. That made another $9 million. That's at $175 million worldwide. And Sing 2 has been a quiet success story. That made another $8 million this week, and it's about to pass the $400 million mark. Most of its box office is basically done. We're at the tail end, but it has passed $400 million, almost uh, well over triple, uh, You know, almost four times its budget of $85 million. So that's a big win. The, uh, the word is out yet on ambulance. We're not sure if this will you know, need CPR, whether it's going to do well. I'm not sure how it's holding in each territory, if it opened up a new places. It's only in a few markets overseas. It's at about $20 million total. Moonfall, however, is the uh, disaster flick, and it's been a bit of a disaster. We were way off last week. I had an extra $20 million on this movie's worldwide total. I don't know why or how that happened. I apologize. But it looks like Moonfall made $3 million this week, and it's only at $45 million worldwide. So sorry for the confusion there, but Moonfall is, it wasn't doing well, even if it was making $65 million, but it's not. It's only at $45 million. Back to India, where the Kashmir Files is dropping off fairly quickly. It made another $3 million. It's at $41 million total. And then scrolling down, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Dog, X, the slasher flick, and another Indian film, uh, Bakchan Pandey. Uh, those made $1 to $2 million each. Now, not a lot going on in China. I don't know if Morbius opened in China. I forget. 
But I do know that the Chinese box office has basically shut down due to COVID. How much did they make in the entire Chinese box office this weekend, Sperling? $12 million, right? $12, $12 million. It wasn't that much more in the U.S. It's a quiet week. The U.S. top 10 made about $76 million. So maybe 80, 82, or 85 million at the most, uh, if you added it all up, but maybe $80 million, you know, is a fair estimate. So that's a lot more than China, but don't get cocky too quick because year to date, China has grossed $2.2 billion and North America has grossed $1.4 billion. So we're still $800 million behind China. It's still the number one market in the world. And presumably, hopefully they will get out of this latest COVID wave and be able to get a little bit back to normal. One of the problems. To answer your question about Morbius in China, it does yeah. not have a release date yet. Does not have a release date yet. Okay, good to know. Well, and in limited also release- to answer your question about those films uh, it, at uh, AMC, the uh-huh. uh, anniversary films are all Fathom events, so they're ah, special. That's BS. Though, who cares? They shouldn't be. It's a thirty-year-old movie. They have somebody do a two-minute intro, and I have to pay you know ten or fifteen dollars to see it to see Field of Dreams. That's stupid. Call it what you want, but charging full price for a movie that's 30 years old where you'd be lucky to get people out there. I mean, you're teased in by, you know, a chat with, you know, somebody from AMC, right? Meaning, no, meaning I have no idea. Movie I have channel. no idea. Right. They, they, sometimes they have an introduction by, you know, Ben Mankiewicz or something. So what? And you're charging full price for a 30 or 40 or 50 year old movie. That's crazy to me. I don't, I don't get that. I'm fine. Charge it. But I've got the pass. You know, you need to work something out so people with the past can see the movie. It seems crazy. <sighs> you know, I don't know. The one thing I would say about about the North American box office, at least, with, that I found uh-huh. interesting. Speaking of box, you know, comparing box offices, is when you look at the top ten films of the past week. Uh, it, at number five, you have Jujutsu Kaisen mm-hmm. from Japan, and then with number the six. Film. Is not yeah is is triple R from India and they're playing uh, at a lot of locations so triple R is at eight hundred and sixty five locations probably because it's three hours long people you can't play you know that, that's not going to play everywhere the Batman uh, can play everywhere that's true you're I think right they're just wide, they don't need more, they don't need more screens to see that to reach their audiences they know where the the strong desert communities are they know where to put those movies they don't need three thousand screens it would be a waste. You know, you don't need to go to a right, small town in Iowa. At, if you look at it, right, uh, uh-huh. this movie has made $12.5 million in North America uh, since it opened two weeks ago. And Juju, ju- uh, ju- uh, say it for me, Michael. The Japanese film. Juju, yeah, yeah. Kaisano. I'm going to just call it Kaisano. It's already made $31.5 million in, the U- in North America already. That's, that's, that's pretty good. No, I love to see uh, Indian films and films from all over the world playing in the U.S. That's great to see. It's very healthy. Um, And I love to see when CEOs get the pay they deserve. I think that's very important. Amazon head Andy Jassy, his first year on the job, he got $212 million, worth every penny. And anyone who disagrees is a communist. So just leave them alone, I say. On the other hand, we might want to start a GoFundMe account for the Twitter CEO, Parg Agrawal. Apologize for my pronunciation of your name. Agrawal. Uh, it's, Agrawal, it's, thank it's you very much. Yeah. Agrawal, Parg Agrawal. Uh, he got $30 million, which sounds kind of like chump change, doesn't it? And kind of a new boss, not really, but Elon Musk paid like about $3 billion worth of Twitter stock. 
why he suddenly thought that was a play to make. I don't know. He but wanted he, to be verified and darn it, he's going to own a controlling stake in the company just to get verified. Just so, they, just so they won't cut him off when he wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so $30 million. We'll pass the hat for uh, for Parg any day now. So that's good to know. You know what? Uh, there is no war update. The war continues. War atrocities continue. Uh, it's awful situation in Ukraine. We'll have a little mention of Ukraine, of course, strangely, in the Grammy Awards. But there have been no particular repercussions in the entertainment industry this week. Things are always going on. People are doing what they can. Uh, but the, you know, the hostage hostage situation, the refugee situation, the potential war crimes, the removing of troops, just watch your local news for that sort of stuff. We have nothing particular to say, but it doesn't mean we're not thinking about it. But we were thinking about it even when we were watching the Grammy Awards. Just like a week ago, we had the Oscars. And now, boom, there's the Grammy Awards. Uh, I, I was. I, I feel like they tease out the performers too much. They announce their final performers with the week leading up to it. It's like I know you want to tease it and get more hits of thing, but it's exhausting. Like every three days, you got to wait for a new batch of people who are going to perform. I find it annoying. The Friday before the show, they announced Lady Gaga would be performing. Well, you know, they knew she was performing. Why wait till you know forty eight hours before the show before announcing her? I guess everybody's going to hear anyway. But it seems silly to me. You know, I don't know. It seems like you'd want to promote her on every ad about the show. And until you announce her, you can't put her in the ad. So all those ads you had leading up to the Grammys couldn't include Lady Gaga. And that, that just seems a mistake to me. What do you think? Well, I think you're you're right. They should try to announce as many uh, artists as they have whenever they get them. Uh, that said, I know there was a lot of uh, behind the scenes scrambling to find fill-ins, and you know the Foo Fighters were supposed to perform, and of course they couldn't because their drummer died. Uh, and maybe know. maybe they didn't fill it in. Maybe they just said, you know what, one less performance, maybe we'll end on time, like they basically did. So they that did. Maybe, but they yeah, they, they have a, a habit of ending on time because they can right. control that. So how did they do this year? Uh, we know the Oscars reached about 16 million people, which was the second worst viewership of all time. It was up from the worst, but and fairly significantly. But how did the Grammys do this year? Did it matter that they didn't announce people like Lady Gaga as early in advance? Uh, uh, what did they hit total viewer-wise? I think it was like 9.1 million, if I'm not mistaken, 9 million viewers. And that which, would just be the overnight, so we'll get more added in. But yeah, that's where we are right now. Now, in 2018, they had 18.8 million. Now, here's what I do not understand. The Oscars, as bad as that show is, okay, get 16.6 million viewers. And that's a bad show, okay? Oh, yeah. And yet, and, and there's like no performances. Like, okay, there's a few performances, but not a lot. Uh, and the Grammys, which is basically an all-star concert. That's essentially what you've got here. And these people yes. are pulling out all the stuff. These performers are like, okay, I need every favor pulled because I need, I need to put on the show of my life. And they do, and yet it only gets 9 million viewers. I do not understand that. This is yeah, an actu actually an entertaining show. Yes, I thought it was a pretty entertaining show. I felt like it sagged towards the end a little bit, but that was just because I didn't like the performances as much, I guess. Um, but uh, it was pretty strong performance-wise. There were some very good performances. Of course, uh, something for everyone. People complain. They say, well, there wasn't enough Latin music. There wasn't enough jazz. There wasn't. It's like you got 800 genres, and it's really hard to fit it all in. One of the things I thought they did a sort of an interesting move to fill in every space possible and give as much exposure was they had smaller acts from like 
gospel and bluegrass play us out from the commercial break, gave them like a minute on air and then like another 30 seconds when they came back out of commercial to give them a little spotlight. You didn't hear the whole song, though you could watch it online later, but at least it gave more exposure to as many artists as possible. I thought that worked okay. I thought it was great. I did not know these artists and, and I should have known Amy uh, or Ame uh, Nuviola and I should have, and you know what? I, I'm going to go look up her music. I looked up her music right when, when she was, I was like, wow, she's really good. Well, that's uh, the idea. Know. They had her, they had uh, Billy Strings, who was a bluegrass act, and they had uh, a Maverick City Music, which is a gospel act. They won their first Grammy uh, this night. And so uh, I thought it was, a, I thought it was as respectful as it could be. You know, obviously you feel like, oh, I don't deserve the main stage, but still you're on the air. People have seen you. So I thought that was pretty cool. And the but, but look at who they give the main stage to, you know, in a way it's like, how many records have they sold? Yeah. It's, you know, they're how many streams have they done? How many streams? Yeah, well, have they I done? know. I, records aren't sold say. anymore. Are they? But uh, what did you think overall? I thought it was a pretty good show. I thought it was a pretty good show. And I did not think they could top last year. I thought like, well, last year was kind of special. Uh, I liked the way they did the the whole COVID uh, Osc- Oscars. Sorry. COVID yeah, I'm, I'm surprised Grammys. they didn't do that again. I thought that worked really well. But I guess in Vegas, maybe there wasn't the space as much or they didn't think about it. But yeah, last year they had that four or five acts set up together and they would each bounce off each other. So you'd watch one and then they would watch the other people perform. I love that setup. It's a very quick way to get from one act to another and without doing a medley or boring or setup and all that sort of thing. And I thought that worked really well. I hope they embrace that again sometime. But yeah, this this show I thought was you know good. I don't know about you. I mostly just fast forwarded to the performances. That's what I'm there for. I listened to some of the uh, acceptance speeches like Doja Cat and, and SZA were funny and you know watched some others if I, you know, what would Olivia Rodrigo say? I watched the album of the year, things like that. I watched Silk Sonic, uh, Bruno Mars, and Anderson Pack. They had the one of the funniest bits of the evening. Yeah, I thought because they were basically playing people from the seventies, and they were doing <laughs> they the like slow, got- and they did the slow mo, you know, celebration, which is when they won. They they turned to each other, and it was all in slow mo, and then they did the thing, and they stood. It was just very funny. I don't know what made them think of it, but it was cute. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, Bruno Mars and Trevor Trevor Noah, I thought did a great job as host. Uh, he only referenced that whole Oscar thing once and he did it in passing. He said, we're going to keep the award, you know, certain award winners out of our mouths. You know, like he just kind of yeah. like brushed past it really fast. I didn't even hear it. My daughter said, hey, he, he referenced it. I was like, oh, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the um, reviews were mixed. They said, well, it's a little too toothless or it's a little too nice or a little bland. But it's like, again, I'm not there to hear people be insulted. You know, that's just not... It's, you know, that's not the point of the Oscars either, really. It's not a roast. And so, you know, I thought it was perfectly fine. His jokes were not at the expense of anybody there. So what? Isn't that okay? Olivia Rodrigo did driver's license. And at the end, you know, it's all about teen romance and she's upset and they've broken up. And he says, oh, that's wonderful. She did a song about the heartbreaking pain of visiting your local DMV. Harmless. Yeah. Harmless. You know, I thought, well, that was amusing. So, you know, just perfectly fine. And But again, not making fun of her or making a joke about how young she is or saying she's so hot or something that would be creepy. So, you know, I thought it was I thought it was good. But there were a lot of good performances. I, I enjoyed BTS's dancing. I'm not sure they sang a single word, but they did a nice James Bond skit. <laughs> no, they and, had uh, one of the best moves of the night where they like all took their jackets off at the same time and they were all tied together. I was and like, they tied wait. Them together and they were playing a guitar, pretending they were miming guitars. Like, I don't know why. I was like, wait, pl- wait, go, go back and do that again. That was amazing. And then they <laughs> yeah, put the know. jackets back on. I was like, okay, you know what? You guys may not sing a single word of your music, but boy, you guys can dance. I mean, that was pretty remarkable. 
Yeah, so that was, that was kind of fun. And uh, I thought Brandy Carlisle was great. I thought Billie Eilish was pretty great. I thought Chris Stapleton was great. I thought there was a really strong period in the middle of the show. And I thought Nas was really good. Though, sadly, this is how embarrassing. I was like, wow, great glasses. <laughs> Nas had these very cool glasses. I was like, oh, those are really nice. But he did a nice medley of some of his biggest hits. Uh, and I thought he was uh, terrific. And of course, then we had Ukraine out of nowhere. Now, I did not know this when we were talking about the Oscars last week. Prime Minister Zelensky asked to be on the Oscars and they said no. That, that's I, what I, that's happened? just the dumbest. If that is that, true, that's that's what they said in print. Uh, talking about, like, I think it was the Times or somebody. I'm like, really? Like, that's bizarre to me. I can see the thinking that they said, well, we can't have everybody done. There's a worldwide crisis. How can we say no? Like, we're starving in, you know, in, in, this, in, the, in this country or well, whatever. Yeah. And we're this here or we're that there. And every year we're going to have people demanding to be on the air to, to make their plea to the world. This is not the stage for that. It's not the place for that. I get it, I guess, but it was to everyone's benefit that the Grammys either reached out or he reached out to them and hey, can I be on the Grammys? Because it actually was a much better fit. At the Oscars, there was no Ukrainian film up. There was no Ukrainian story to tie into. Maybe he could have talked about Flea, you know, the film about refugees from Afghanistan. That might have made some sense. But at the Grammys, we had Zelensky giving a brief speech about the power of music. Please don't be silent. Make noise. Make music. You know, keep us in your hearts. Our musicians are wearing, you know, body armor, not, you know, tuxedos. And they're singing to people, some of whom can't even hear. But that's what we're doing. And it led into John Legend performing a song along with a Ukrainian uh, instrumentalist, Ukrainian singer, and a Ukrainian poet. So you actually had Ukrainians on stage performing. You couldn't have done that at the Oscars. I felt it was a very natural fit and it made a lot of sense. So, you know, it may have been to everyone's benefit because I thought that was a, I don't know how he would have been squeezed into the Oscars or what the excuse would have been. And now, excuse me for a, a war break, you know? So I thought it worked okay. Yeah, I thought it did too. And, uh, you know, I was on Twitter at the time and I, and I saw David Wilde, who of course is the writer for the Grammys. He's, uh, been kind enough to, to, uh, stop by from time to time. He, he actually, uh, said now watch this. And I was like, what is he referring to? Which, which, wait, which, which, um, performance is he talking about? Did I miss something? And then of course, like maybe a minute later, Zelensky, came, I was like, okay, that was, that, that's a good get. <laughs> I mean, Ideally, we won't have to have, you know, Mr. Zelensky on next year because at least one hopes that that <laughs> war would be long over. Uh, but it was I thought it, like you, I thought it was very well done. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things I didn't think came across well was Carrie Underwood. I'm actually a fan of hers. I like a lot of her albums. She was up for the uh, uh uh, you know, she, she's she's a talent and uh, she did uh, her new song, Ghost Story, and it was as melodramatic and over the top as you could ask for. It just looked goofy, I thought, though she did win a Grammy for a gospel album that she recorded. And I generally like her, but I thought that was just the wind, the wind fan. The fan was going to blow her, her, her outfit behind her and was all just a big production. But unlike so many of the others, you know, you had Billie Eilish in an upside down room with water and rain and all this stuff a lot that of people really had big worked production. yeah but a lot of people had big productions but carrie underwoods to me kind of fell flat and then i like the brothers osborne i'm thrilled that they won a grammy 
TJ came out, of course, last year or the year before, and now has won their first Grammy as an out gay man in country music, the only out gay performer, I believe, in all of major country labels. Uh, but their song Dead Man's Curve was kind of unmelodic. I didn't, I didn't love it. So that was an okay outro, but like Chris Stapleton killed it. And if you're talking about country music and Brandy Carlisle. Oh my gosh. I think people were like, Chris, who? And then he gets up and he accepts his award. He's won Grammys. He's, he's, he's won two, yeah, that's he's true. Star. They don't say that's Chris, true. who? Yeah, uh, no, but, but was Boy, did he knock it out of the park with his performance. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, he, that, was, that was awesome. As did, and, by the way, John Batiste, who people were like, who? On, on Twitter, people were like, who is that guy? He's really amazing. Wait, is that the guy from Colbert? And I was like, yeah, guys, you know, he's a musician. He's got an album out. Where have you been? Uh, but he, I thought he did a great job. I'm not a fan of the album. Uh, he seems like a nice person. I thought he had the best backing or the best backdrop. I thought the, oh, the yeah. stuff behind him looked very cool. It was like a cartoon come to life. And he's very positive. So God bless him. That's 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 nice. People described him as the upset winner of the night. I'm like, no, he had the most nominations. You're not an upset winner if you have the most nominations going into the night. Wherever you think like Olivia Rodrigo is supposed to win it, I don't care. You got the most nominations and you win. That ain't an upset. So, you know, he's won five Grammys, in fact. Silk Sonic won four, I believe. So John Batiste won Album of the Year, the most important one. Silk Sonic won all four they were up for. I think it was Anderson Pack who said, in the industry, we call that a sweep. A clean <laughs> sweep. Four, yeah. Four for four. It's very funny. Record of the Year and Song of the Year and some other stuff. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo got a couple of Grammys, including Best New Artist. Uh, Jasmine Sullivan, after many, many nominations, finally won her first Grammy for Best R&B Album. Tyler, the Creator, won for Best Rap. St. Vincent won for Daddy's Home. Best Country Album, Chris Stapleton for Starting Over. And here's something cool. Best Global Music Performance, not an album, but a single, a song, was Aruj Aftab for her single. And she's the first Pakistani to win a Grammy. Oh, now, wow. Yeah, so that's very cool. And my mom, like many people, when we had the, the, the black female nominee for the Supreme Court, and they said, oh, why do they have to say that? Why can't why can it just be the best person? It's like, no, 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 you're supposed to celebrate. There's many barriers to fall. We'll have the first deaf person on the Supreme Court, the first physically challenged person on the Supreme Court, the first non-binary. You know, it's like, and when it happens, you get to say, yay, great. Should have happened a long time ago, but good. So whenever there's somebody breaking down a barrier, like TJ from the Brothers Osborne or Aruj Aftab, that's cool. That's something that, you know, is really fun to see. Well, I noticed, uh, you know, you put in our notes here that uh, the Foo Fighters swept the rock category, but all voting ended before the tragic death of Taylor Hawkins, the band's drummer. Right. You don't have to feel like this is some sort of sentimental uh, choice here. This happened because they think they're a great band. I mean, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And so it's a sad night for them, a bittersweet victory, of course, needless to say. But it's a victory slash victory for Bo Burnham. Big fan of Bo Burnham. He's a big friend of the show, of course. He's on all the time. But anyway, he won a <laughs> Grammy for Best Song Written for Visual Media, his, uh, his TV special, uh, Bo Burnham Inside, one of the best films of the year. And some big names he was up against. So that is a solid win. And he already has three Emmys, of course, for that same special. So he's a Grammy winner and an Emmy winner. He's an EG. He's an eag. All he needs is the Oscar and the Tony. He's two down and two to go. And you know what? From his directing and acting and music, I can see him winning an Oscar and I can see him doing something in theater. So Bo Burnham, future EGOT. You know, I think the same thing is true of, uh, you know, John Batiste, because of course he already won an Oscar. 
He yep. and that was actually trending this morning on Twitter was EGOT for people like her, for people like uh, Julian uh, John Batiste. They did not they did not become EGOTs. Just no, no, no. they're like, but they're ha- and, and Questlove, and they're like, they're halfway to EGOTs, and and people are like, yeah, halfway is still a long, long way off from, <laughs> especially with how long it takes to get a Broadway show mounted and up, and then good, and then nominated, and then win. You know, it's not easy. So uh, John Batiste has the, of course, Grammys. He has an Academy Award. He does not have an Emmy yet. No Emmy. And right. uh, of course, no Tony. So he still has the Emmys to go, but he's on a show all the time. So that seems like something potentially doable. And <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, um, among the things that the show did well, I thought the tone was right. A lot of performances. Uh, Trevor Noah said off the top of the show, hey, this is not an award show. This is a concert, and occasionally we give out awards. That's exactly how to sell it, and that's exactly what you want. However, right towards the end of the show, as you're getting up to your song and record or album of the year, suddenly they did their Grammy promo about the Academy. I am the Academy. This you know two-minute thing about I'm the Academy and a tribute to the teacher of the year and an industry exec tribute. It's like... That should not be towards the finale. You want us to be barreling towards the finale with excitement and joy, not doing a promo for what the uh, what the Academy does. That should be halfway through or towards the beginning, frankly. So I thought that was misplaced, but that's a minor note to which I thought was a pretty smooth, well-done show. Oh, you know, you can't control who wins what, but they made history with uh, the, 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 what was the song? Uh, it was a... Oh. Bridgerton musical. Is yeah, that what you're but, right? But what is it? Oh, is a best theatrical music or something like that? I forget what the category is. But a a project that began on TikTok won a Grammy. The first project to go from from TikTok to Grammy is the unofficial Bridgerton musical. It was the first Grammy winner to originate on TikTok, and they beat out a Stephen Schwartz thing. Bob Dylan's uh, Broadway show. Uh, it beat out Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella and a new stage version of Les Mis. So there were some big heavyweights in that best theatrical recording category. And Bridgerton, this unofficial Bridgerton musical that began on TikTok and may actually become a thing, beat them out. You know what I did when I saw that? It's their first TikTok to win. I said, really? What about Ratatouille? Because we yeah. talked about Ratatouille, the musical, which was very clever. I went and, of course, hasn't even really officially been released as an album. So, no, not eligible yet. Didn't happen yet, though. That, too, might become an actual thing. But I know that you were kind of like, oh, OK, Louis C.K., you're winning Best Comedy Album. Uh, I guess all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Oh, so that little sexual harassment. Oh, who cares? All gone and forgotten. So, yes, yeah, so that's interesting, I guess, in terms of people who say Will Smith can't be, oh, my God, he'll never come back from this. They're out of their minds. Will Smith has no history of violence. He has no history of being a jerk, at least that we've ever heard. His reputation on set, in the media and everything is impeccable. It, you know, There's no doubt whatsoever that he can step away, come back apologize and be welcomed back with open arms. People will be happy to see the new act for, you know, the new second act for Will Smith. Absolutely. So if Louis CK can win a Grammy, please don't pretend Will Smith's career is over. That's just silly. Uh, whether, you know, you I actually have a, an interesting way for him to, to, uh, to start his, I don't want to say start his campaign. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been, been an hour, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I thought, you know, he and his wife do a lot of, uh, you know, the red table talk and the therapy in front of people to like help, you know, kind of present certain issues. And I thought, you know what, what if the, what if Will Smith were to go through therapy for what, like what possibly could have cracked in him to do that in that moment for him to understand what happened 
and do it on film or in a series or like online so that he can help others kind of destigmatize therapy. Well, I don't think therapy has a stigma anymore, does it? Uh, well, all, yeah. I mean, I think it always d- does. Uh, you you I, I do? Think now, now it not, is? Not as much as it used to. I mean, obviously. Not no, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think they've been too open. They, they like to share. That's their brand. They make money off sharing their private moments and things and talking about their open marriage and things. And that may have been part of the mistake. Because if you share like that, people are going to talk about it and sometimes make fun of it. If I had an open marriage and told my friends, guess what? They would make jokes about it. I would understand them. I would take them in the spirit they were given probably. Though sometimes I might get annoyed. But maybe they've been sharing too much. So that's my okay. thought. But anyway, but I was interested in Wikipedia. Uh, you know, sometimes during the Grammys, I look stuff up on Wikipedia. Taylor Hawkins is already a past member of Foo Fighters. I, that probably happened within minutes of him dying. So that's very sad. But I was looking up something about Foo Fighters to see uh, previous wins or something. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course he's a past member. He's dead. But it's still, it's like, oh, God. It's like, he just died last week. But that stuff happens quickly. And when I was typing up Olivia, because I was looking something up about Olivia Rodrigo to make sure I had the correct TV show, which is, of course, High School Musical, the musical, the series. That's where she has sprung from. Anyway, I type in Olivia and... Rodrigo, of course, is the first option that springs up. Number two is Olivia Newton-John. I'm like, no, too soon. It should be Olivia Newton-John and then Olivia Rodrigo. Come on. In <laughs> <So>, age order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It should be in that order. But, you know, you sh- if you watch High School Musical, the musical, you would be watching it online via a streamer. So that's interesting. And, and wouldn't it and, be on Disney Plus, I think? Isn't that that's like exactly a right. It yeah. would be on Disney Plus, and it's a, it's a success story. And they've produced a bigger acts than Glee did. Glee had lots of soundtracks that were successful, but the High School Musical, the musical, the series has actually launched, uh, you know, the careers launched a, a career. Yeah. Plus the guy, yeah. I mean, one of the top male ones has done pretty well too. But that brings us to streaming, doesn't it? We've got streaming numbers for the week of February 28th through March 6th. We're always about a month behind. I don't know why it takes a month to get these numbers. If you do, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Or we're on Twitter. In fact, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll get news throughout the week. At Showbiz Sandbox is our uh, handle on Twitter. And we're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can find us on Facebook. That's right. And we're looking at numbers from Nielsen and they are listing streaming shows that they have sampled in North America via smart TVs only, not the laptop that I watch stuff on a lot, not stuff overseas. However, they do cover Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple, where you can watch Coda, of course. And I was wrong. So Sperling, I was wrong last week. I made a prediction about the number one movie that would be there this week. And I was quite wrong. So enjoy telling people what was the big movie this week on streaming and why I was wrong. Well, we don't talk about it. Oh, wait, no, we just don't <laughs> talk about Bruno, right? Okay, so we That's can talk right. about Encanto, just not Bruno when we talk about Encanto. It was the number one movie for the 11th week in a row. That's right. It fell from 1 billion minutes, or a little bit over that, to 864 million minutes after almost uh, three months uh, available. But the new Medea on Netflix and Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy on Disney+, Plus who all were at a billion minutes and I thought they would get stronger because they'd only had a few days and now they had a full week of viewing. They fell further. Right. 
Medea hit 746 million minutes, and Free Guy fell more than 50% in its second week to uh, under 500 million minutes. So it went from a billion minutes to less than 500 million. That tells me, you know, it's all relative, but that that people didn't love that movie when they watched it, right? And the word of mouth is not great. I mean, I thought Free Guy was okay. I didn't think it was that good, but it got friendly reviews and it made good money, relatively speaking, in this COVID era. But the Medea and we can't and Free Guy, we can't call them flops or disasters. They were sampled. A billion minutes were watched that first week, but it doesn't look like they're having a lot of legs. We'll have to see where they end up. But right now, you know. You know, they're they're not big hits. They were sampled. People watched them and like, yeah, that was okay. It'd be great did to Did you get see Inventing on- Anna? I did not. That's the miniseries, right? About the con artist? Yes. This is a I, and I remember reading the story about this person in uh I, I can't even write maybe Vanity Fair. It was a, a long expose about this story and it was really fascinating. And I thought, well, wow, this would be a great movie. And of course it wound up being a miniseries. <laughs> and it's the number one project overall for the third week in a row. So this is from the overall top 10, about 1.1 billion minutes. Uh, this came from Shonda Rhimes. She made this happen. She also has season two of Bridgerton, which is out now. But in terms of these ratings, of course, we'll have to wait like three weeks to see how they did. But she's got Inventing Anna hitting on all gears. She's got season two of Bridgerton and some spinoffs of that show. Uh, so, you know, do you think Netflix is happy? It paid her big bucks? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the way, Jonathan Bailey, who not John, but Jonathan Bailey, who is starring in the West End with or was starring with Taron Egerton in that play. Uh, he's in the West End right now. He's a big star of Bridgerton and he's gay. And I didn't know it. And that's okay. progress. He plays Lord Anthony Bridgerton. And the fact that the one of the lead actors in one of the biggest shows on television is openly gay and I hadn't even heard about it is kind of amazing. It really is. This is this is so you know. This is so. Did they different check with you before? They, <laughs> hey, before. No, but you would know every little character, you know, for a second. And somebody coming out was, you know, seismic news. If you're queer, you know, you're oh my god, you know, like somebody came out that we've heard of. That was huge news. And today, this guy is open. I didn't even know that is that's some really good progress. I have to tell you. So I just hope he doesn't go to visit Florida. So it's like the third or fourth moon landing where people were like, oh, are we still doing that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Vikings is still putting out mayhem, aren't they? Yeah. That, what is certainly this is a Netflix TV show. And, and uh, I would say it's probably their biggest uh, TV series right now, maybe, except yes. Bridgerton. I don't know. Right, Bridgerton right, right. Bridgerton will pass it in a few weeks. Bridgerton's numbers aren't up yet, but the new, the first season of Vikings Valhalla is firing on all cylinders. Now, last week it opened with 800 million minutes, and that was just from a few days. Uh, they'd already greenlit seasons two and three. This week, unlike Free Guy and Medea, the word of mouth was really great. It rose to a billion minutes. Doesn't mean it's going to be like that forever, or like in Canto, three months on top, but that's... Very good sign for sure. So renewing that show for two seasons before even season one began looks very, very smart. And again, all the news is about Netflix. We can't help it. We'll get to Hulu and Disney in a second. But Netflix has a new docuseries called Worst Roommate Ever. It's from Blumhouse. So I'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, is this roommate going to kill me? (laughs) I don't know. It debuted March 1st and it opened big. Who hasn't had or heard about a terrible roommate? Franchise. Anyway, a billion minutes and just a smidge behind Vikings Valhalla. So, you know, they're going to make more of that. So, you know, uh, Netflix, Vikings Valhalla, Worst Roommate Ever, New Bridgerton, Inventing Anna. They're doing quite well. 
I mean, they and, spend uh, a you know, lot they're, of money. They're doing quite well, but if you, and you're right, they are spending lots of money. Although recently at an all hands meeting, uh, this was like last week, they asked people to, uh, their, their employees, hey, be careful who you're hiring and uh, stop spending so much money. Okay. So, <laughs> right. you know, in other words, they're beginning to kind of look at the bottom line and go, okay, so we've got a lot right. of content now. Now we got to slow down the spend. We got to slow yeah. down the burn. Be smart. Be smart. But they're, but they're, we'll see how their taste works. But I don't think they were throwing everything at the wall and hoping to see what stuck. I feel like they've been doing an excellent job of creating water cooler television. Yes. I, ooh, you know what? Did you just, did you just create that saying? Did you just come up with that? I, I don't think Are, so. Did you coin that saying? Water cooler <laughs> television? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, darn, because I was going to say we could totally like, you know, mar trademark, registered trademark, copyright. Uh, anyway, I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, well, I guess uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Holmes couldn't copyright herself or trademark herself. And if she could, she probably would have uh, said, you can't make a movie about my life. I'm sure they trademarked Theranos. That's the company she led or copyright it or did whatever they have to do. But that is another con show, a miniseries based on Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. It's on Hulu. It's called The Dropout and hit, hit the top 10 in original programming. So it made about 255 million minutes, but there's just three episodes available of the seven total. So we have reached the end of the, seri of the series or the season or whatever we call it. I guess it's a miniseries, but we're in the ratings for a month ago. So there's three episodes available and they're certainly getting sampled. 70, 80 million minutes per episode is about the average. So, you know, we'll see where it ends up. If word of mouth is good, it will keep building. Uh, certainly, uh, Disney was building a lot with Encanto. The word of mouth was terrific. And they're a player. When you look at the top 10 movies, Disney has Encanto, it has Free Guy, and it has West Side Story. That made about 313 million minutes. People were watching West Side Story, and of course, that's leading up to the Oscars. So we might expect that to build a little bit, but of course, it only won, uh, well, it certainly won at least one award. I'm not sure if it won any others, but it won Best Supporting Actress. Whether it won anything else, I don't remember. Whether the exposure would get people to say, hey, I want to check that out, we'll have to see. You would think like being a, a hit musical for the past 50, 60 years would probably be enough exposure for you to go, hey, I want to see that. It's probably a big deal. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I wasn't looking for that, but uh, since you mentioned Big Deal, it must be time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines and entertainment. We tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Here's our first story. CBS News hired Mick Mulvaney. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was Donald Trump's former White House chief of staff. And now CBS News has hired him to be a talking head. Clearly, it's looking forward to the midterm elections in 2024, and it's not looking back to Mulvaney publicly defending Trump for defying Congress and the Constitution by holding back aid to Ukraine as blackmail. Remember Ukraine, that? Ukraine, Ukraine. He held back aid to yeah. Ukraine. <laughs> Yeah, that that, you might that alone isn't enough to make him poison. Yes. Yeah, he was the crucial act that saw Trump be impeached the first time. That was what what caused him to be impeached. Mulvaney also repeatedly attacked the press while he was uh, the the chief of staff. Now he's a member of the press. He claimed uh, that the press was hyping COVID to bring down the president, and he poo pooed the idea of Trump refusing to accept a peaceful transfer of power. Turns out he was wrong. Uh, he insisted, of course, Trump would concede if he lost the election. He didn't. Uh, and during his first time on air, you might think, oh, well, God, these two guys are really partisan. 
No, the reason we're mentioning all this, during his first time on air, you would think being the White House chief of staff would be kind of your calling card, kind of your credential. But no, CBS didn't even properly identify Mulvaney as Trump's former chief of staff. They just kind of skipped over that part. In contrast, Fox News just hired Caitlyn Jenner. So there's that. Big deal or big one. <laughs> right. So Mulvaney did step down as a special envoy to Northern Ireland after the January 6th coup, but he has also says he'll support Trump in 2024 if he becomes the nominee. He's also runs a hedge fund and is a lobbyist. So, you know, if you love lobbyists and hedge funds and former Trump officials, he's perfect. He's all three wrapped up in one. On air, his first opinion was to talk about how terrible the Biden deficits were and we shouldn't raise taxes. But wait, before you're getting where we're all progressive and annoying, Trust me, Kamala Harris's top communications aide, Simone Sanders, is now at MSNBC, and Joe Biden's Jen Psaki has just become aware that she's headed to MSNBC herself, including her own show on streaming and, of course, as a talking head on the network. And I hate it all. I think it's terrible. A revolving door between public service and the networks is awful. They're paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars knowing that they'll be going back to the networks, going back into the White House, going back into Congress and serving there. So it's like you're paying politicians and getting a special relationship with them. And then, you know, they're going to go back to areas where you would not want them on your payroll because that would be a conflict of interest. So I don't like it when you do it with Republicans. I don't like it when you do it with Democrats. There are plenty of people who are experts on these areas that you can bring in who are nonpartisan. I don't like it when Donna Shalala from the DNC is on CNN as a talking head being paid six figures a year by them to basically tell us what the DNC thinks. You know, it's like she's not an independent observer. She's basically, you know, that team. It's great to have them on the air. You shouldn't be paying them. If you want them on the air, that's oh, wait, fine. Invite CNN them, pays but you sh- Donna Shalala. She she did for years. Yes, oh, not anymore. Right? Yeah. Of course, they were on they were on staff. All these people, Gergen, all these people are on staff and paid six figures, if not more, to be on the air. I really hate it. You know, they're going right back. It's a revolving door. I think it's just a terrible conflict of interest. They're buying access. They're buy, you know, they're thinking, oh, he's going to be back in the White House in two years. We want to have access to all these people. So we'll pay them now while we can, knowing that in a few months we'll be covering them again. And I think it's terrible. My one exception may be the press communications people, George Stephanopoulos and Jen Psaki and people like that. If you honestly believe and they honestly say, I'm done. I'm not going back into that world. I'm strictly going to be a journalist and you believe them, then I can understand how that skill set might make them appropriate for you to hire and you feel like they could be good and nonpartisan and do a good job. Maybe that's what Jen Psaki is doing. And of course, they could always lie or have second thoughts. Maybe George Stephanopoulos, after eight years, could have said, I'm going to run for coffee or I'm going to, you know, it happens all the time on but other channels. But he didn't. And you believe him. If Jen Psaki is truly saying, I now want to be a journalist and that's my world and that's my job and I'm never going back to that or running for office or working in staff. Okay, maybe those particular people in the press office make certain sense to cross over. But everybody else who's paid money, my question is Democrat or Republican, I think it's outrageous and it's terrible and it really ruins the news business. Here's a question for you. Why do all of these press secretaries for presidents, whether it's okay with Trump, that was that was one thing that was a debacle from start to finish. But putting that aside, but all of the whether it was George W. Bush or Obama or they last like a year and then they they move on. And it must be a really demanding job that they're just it, like it is. You have to know everything. And if you don't know, you anticipate what they're going to ask you about. But you have to have detailed information on 
virtually every issue of the day. You have to be ready to respond. You have to provide accurate information. You have to be a conduit for the press. You have to make sure they can trust you and know that if you say something, it's true. You know, you're not going to lie to them. You may present the administration's opinion, but you're not going to lie to them. And if you don't have information you will, and you feel like they can get it, you will say you'll get that for them and work to make that available. And you, unlike the president, you know, like you have you have House of Commons, right? You have uh, question time once a week. This is like every day and it's exhausting. There's 10,000 topics that you have to know about and you better be accurate in any mistake or misstep or misspoken word you make. How often do we say something wrong? I'm wrong all the time. We correct it the next week or we say, oh, I made a mistake. Nobody cares. But if you're but the I press secretary, that's like the, the White House got it wrong and they yell it. Oh my God, they don't know what they're talking about. What I think is interesting is that under Trump, those uh, press conferences, those those you know daily briefings became uh, like must see television. Briefings. They didn't. Well, have yes. They, after a while, they did stop. You're right. They after yeah. what's her name left. They never uh, had daily briefings. I don't think. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. No, that was. Uh, yeah, the the the. It's always interesting. Jen Psaki does a good job, I think. But there you go. It's it's a difficult job for sure. I'm hoping she is trying to be a full-time journalist, but all the others I really object to strongly. Anyway, the next one involves like talent agents to a degree. So I want you to respond, Sperling. Actor Bruce Willis is retiring from acting after doctors diagnosed he is dealing with aphasia. This illness makes it difficult to understand others and communicate since it impacts language and speech. Common causes are trauma, like a stroke, severe head injuries, concussions, tumors, and dementia, and perhaps being an action film star for decades. It is more common in people over 65. And of course, the 67-year-old Willis, famed for Moonlighting, one of the greatest shows of all time, and the Die Hard franchise, starred in punishing action films for decades. Shortly after the announcement, the LA Times, I mean, hours, the LA Times published a story that was clearly long in the works, detailing Willis's struggles on set in the last few years. His agents are CAA, and his family and agents were all involved in his career in the last few years. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? I think it's a big deal. I think uh, the way that uh, it had to be announced uh, very quickly in the morning, uh, by the evening, the LA Times story came out. When you read the LA Times story, Obviously, they had been working on this for weeks, if not months. They had talked to countless people within Bruce Willis's, you know, circle of of, of uh, colleagues. The family knew that this was coming, and they knew that it was going to come out. And so, at, at and this that forced point, people's hand, whether they oh, were yeah, about ready it totally to do it anyway, people's it clearly forced their hand. Before I read the LA Times story, I went and looked. I was like, "How is? What are these movies?" And I looked them up, and he had twenty two films in the last four years. 22 in the last four years. The last time he was in a movie of note was 2019 with Motherless Brooklyn. That's not that long ago. So that's three years ago. But he's been turning out a lot of crap in the last four years. And as the article details, sometimes or a lot of the times, he was being paid $2 million for two days work. In fact, they told him, look, you can't work more than eight days, eight hours in a day, and you can only do two days on the film. They quoted lots of directors and people saying we have a way to cut lines. Is this abusive? I mean, that's the only thing I can think of here. Uh, he had no clue sometimes what was going on, and he misfired a gun on one film twice. He was supposed to tell an actress or some cue for her to duck before he fired, and twice he failed to do that. And that's freaky. And of course, other people said, no, that is not true. That never happened. She's not making it up. Come on, give me a break. She had no you know, ill will towards him, but clearly he was out of it. And in fact, two crew members said, he said out loud one day on the set, I know why you're here and I know why you're here, but why am I here? 
I mean, that's sad and scary. Which is dementia, by the way. That's that's right. But you're not usually on a working set. You can't you just feel like everybody around him, just like Kanye and other people, just taking advantage and and getting every penny out of him they could while they could still get away with it. Let's churn out some crap, get him in movies, get a couple book two million dollars here, two million, you know, twenty two films. If he's getting two million dollars for each of them, that's forty four million dollars. What's that cut for CAA? They made what, you know, four million dollars off of him in the last two years, despite the fact that it might have been ext- I'm sorry, for the last four years, despite the fact that he might have been a danger to others and himself. That's exactly what the article is showing. It's very upsetting to me. It's, it's just- uh, yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I don't know what his finances are and whether they were like, oh, no, you know, he's just our last chance. Be- I hope I hope he's not poor. You know, God, yeah. he, he can't be poor. That would truly be awful, too. That might be on him. But yeah, you just feel like, well, it's our last chance to cash in. And maybe that's what he enjoyed. And you were telling yourself, you know, the best case scenario is that's what he loved to do. It's what he knew to do. And he was doing it as long as he could, you know, but. The descriptions from the last few, you know, with directors like, I can't work with him again. I don't feel like this is right. You feel like they went way too long than they should. Yeah. Not easy to tell someone you can't act anymore, but it's a little easier when they don't know where they are. Yeah. Yeah. When they don't know that they are an actor. And the second that happened with that gun, they should have said, that's it. We're, we're done. You know, that. Yeah. Well, again, it's all about enablement, right? I mean, it's all about that, you know, people enabling this kind of behavior. Which kind of leads well, the behavior of the of the agents and the family, not Bruce Willis. We're assuming he is not responsible for what's going on here. Correct. You know, we're assuming yeah. he's not right. You're right. The enabling is the others. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a sad, awful story. Uh, you know, he had a good career. He's a fun guy. He made some great stuff. Kind of a jerk to Sybil Shepherd, I guess. But oh well. But you know, this is a sad way to end it. That's for sure. And I don't know what else should happen here, but it feels like this is yeah. not something you can. You can you can plan for or prevent if people are going to take advantage of someone. Uh, but good lord, do people need mental health checks and and competency checks before they go on a set? Especially if they're going to handle a gun. Maybe make sure they've got a. But you know, if you went to his doctor, he'd say, "Oh no, he's fine." Right? You'd get someone to sign off and say, "Oh, he's perfectly fine and competent." I guess. But I feel like something went wrong here, and I don't know what it is. And you know, it's just a, a sad situation. When we know something went wrong at the Oscars, which is our Inside Baseball story this week, Inside Baseball is our segment where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Now, explaining how the, what, what this story means for the business and how it will affect you is very simple. What it means it for means the businesses, nothing. they've got to get means their ducks in a row. Louis, Louis C.K. just won a Grammy. It means nothing. No, no, no. I mean, it, I mean uh, about producing uh, award shows and oh, what's, it's, what it's it no means big for the future. It means nothing. It's easy. It's very simple. First of all, Will Smith resigned from the Academy, which was smart and also appropriate. So you can be cynical and say he quit before they, before they kicked him out. Or you might say, wow, he, he took that away from them. So now they have to do something else. But- I think it was the appropriate right thing to do. He resigned from the Academy. So that was good. And in terms of Chris Rock, the Summer of Soul producer, Joseph Patel, he's not happy with Will Smith. Of course, he's also not happy with Chris Rock. Chris Rock said the film was produced by Questlove and four white guys. Ha ha ha. Same joke he made the night before. The problem is that Patel is South Asian, one of three people to win that night who was South Asian and one of the few ever to win an Oscar. And he was extremely proud of that. So being dismissed as one of the couple white guys was very upsetting to him as well. It should be. This is the, again, it's your big night. You're like, oh, this is a white guy. It's like, you know, you look at the Grammys, you look at the Oscars, uh, jokes coming, 
jokes about people because they look different or they look the same just aren't that funny. You know, maybe they were funny decades ago. Maybe they played some role or some use, you know, but it's like, oh, her head is shaved. Who, ca who cares? It's not, it's so not even a joke. Like she, they're, someone's fat or they're really thin or they're disabled or they're, or they're deaf or they're different color from you. I mean, who cares? That is not a joke anymore. Maybe the Don Rickles day, not to get into comedy history, but you know, Don Rickles would insult people, whatever. Maybe there was a role there of him just announcing there are Italians, there are Poles, there are Jews. Most comedy that was on television or whatever was just white bread, you know, whatever. There was no indication that the world was anything other than white men. And he was like referencing black people, Jews, and the, and the stereotypes and prejudices we had about each other. And, you know, so maybe that was a useful thing very briefly. But nowadays, someone's got a bald head. Oh, you got a bald head. It just, it just seems so lame. But you're like, what should the Academy do? Well, remember. Remember Kanye West storming the stage of the Grammys and ruining Taylor Swift? No, Swiss no, moment? it was the MTV uh, Music Awards. Oh, MTV. MT oh, it was, oh, it's storming yeah. the MTV. What did they do after that? Nothing. Great video clip, right? They should have passed a rule, and maybe they should do it now. All these award shows should say, "Look, you shout something out from the audience at other people in the audience or people on stage. We think you're disruptive in any way, or God forbid, you come on the stage, you're going to be fired from the Academy." Number one, you'll be asked to leave. You'll be fired from the academy. You will not, you know, you're gone and you'll be fired from the academy. Maybe you'll be able to get back in after you petition or show remorse or whatever, but you're out. That's the first thing to do. And obviously you need a little more security, but yeah. they want an Oscar moment. They want, you know, the producers thought it was a bit and people are saying, well, they didn't do anything. Why didn't they do anything? Well, what were they supposed to do? A, they thought it was a bit. They weren't sure what was going on. Maybe they had arranged something. So I, I don't really... I don't really you know, uh, uh, give them a Will hard Packer time. Has, yeah, and Will Packer, the producer, has said, uh, you know, I knew it wasn't a bit when I started. When I saw him cursing, I was like, okay, this is not a bit. This right. is and and everybody's been trying to cover their ass. It's like, well, well, we asked Chris Rock. He didn't. We asked him to leave, and he said no. It's like, well, not exactly. It was suggested to his publicist maybe he'd like to leave, uh, or Chris, or maybe they thought when Chris Rock was told by the police, we'll go arrest him. The cops sounded very eager the way they described We're ready to go. We can get him. It's like, oh, God, you know, that would have really been bad. Uh, so, you know, you can arrest him after the show if he doesn't seem like an imminent threat to people. You know, if he refuses to leave, that's a decision you make during a commercial break or something. But if you think they're not an imminent threat to anyone, maybe you just wait till they walk away and you arrest them as they're leaving rather than drag them out of the Oscar ceremony. That wouldn't have been a good look necessarily. So I don't, I don't, criticize someone for not doing that but then they put it on chris rock like well we asked chris you know it was offered to chris rock and he could have had him arrested and removed but he said no it's like well guess what the person who's just been attacked should not also be the person who has to shoulder the responsibility of what to do about the attack it's like oh make him the bad guy by saying well get him out of here so now it's his fault uh, it's but like, no I, I, that's I mean, not that's for chris rock to decide that's for you to decide and again well, i don't fault yeah. them for not sending the cops and dragging him out of there that probably would have been a disaster but you don't put it on the person who's just been belittled or attacked. That's not their job to then shoulder well, the responsibility all, about it, the rest of the show. It was only one person who's been saying that, okay, and that's Will Packer. Well, uh, no, multiple people have said the police The police asked Chris Rock, you know, do you want us to press charges? That's been in multiple okay. papers. That's not just from, from Will Packer. Well, I think a lot of people are giving the, the Academy a pass at this point, and uh, in a way, I can understand, like, they were caught 
totally flat. They they don't. Yeah, this has never happened before. Like they didn't know. Right, not what on to any, do. not on any award show. All I could think of was Kanye West at the MTV Music Awards. That's the only time I could think of that anything remotely similar to this is. People have come on stage. There's been streakers or whatever. But in terms of this, like people getting in a brawl, the ESPY Awards. Uh, I can't think of anything where there's been anything like this on a televised thing. It's an awards night. People are on their best behavior. Never seen anything like this. People have gone off script. People have done whatever. There have been gags or bits or somebody gets up to be funny, but nothing remotely They've like this. They've said things so, that maybe they shouldn't have said, you know, like, right. but yeah, know, I, but I nothing like this. But now we know we need a rule and they should have done it after Kanye, but it was the MTV Music Awards, so it didn't seem important. Sorry, but you need a rule. If you do anything, if you disrupt the performance, the evening in any way, just shouting out from your seat. You're out of the academy. This is a television tele award show. It's, you know, you're out. Don't don't you think that that this will now be in, in you know it's they, they will come up with this rule now. I think yeah, it's a very simple rule, but everybody should. It should be the Grammys, the Emmys, the Oscars, the Tony. Look, oh, I, you I do mean everybody. Stuff, right, you shout out stuff from the audience. You disrupt it in any way we deem. You're out of the academy and you're leaving the room. You you assault someone that goes without saying. Of course, you come on stage. You absolutely, you're out. You're, you're not getting any award that night. You're out. You're not going to be on TV. You're out of the Academy or whatever it is. Sure. You know, that doesn't you know, mean there I, won't I be had a, a possibility a couple, to. Yeah. I had a couple people who um, were in the audience who just happened, like two of them just happened. One started just as he stood up uh, to walk on stage. And the other one was just taping because they're a quest love fan and thought he might win. Uh, and they were in the audience and they were taping on their phones and when you watch it in real time and you realize how quiet it was in that room and how yeah. loud Will Smith was being there, it's shocking. It's really, it is kind of, we, we kind of saw the edited version of it. Even right, the I, saw the, I saw the, yeah, the uncensored one. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's still edited. But uh, yeah, I, but this, wow. I mean, when you see it unfold like that and you realize nobody's talking, nobody's moving nobody's right they're like uh, uh oh yeah yeah well that's what happens when violence intrudes in an area where you don't expect it but the question is what was the best film of the year uh the best film of the year i yeah what one best picture oh coda 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 one best picture and what's the message of coda the message of coda is talk that with your hands deaf people are just like everyone else Apparently, that's still oh, a revelation okay. to some people, but it's useful to say. And how do they show that? Well, deaf people curse. Deaf people like to have sex. The mom and dad have a healthy sexual relationship. The son enjoys sex uh, with a hearing girlfriend. So that's cool. And what's the other thing we see? We see the, the son of the parents, the rather handsome son, go to a bar and he's trying to make connections with the local fishermen. They don't feel part of the community. They're sort of separate and aside from them. And he goes in there to try and break that down and hang out with them and be one of the guys. And what happens? Another person not related to them insults him and makes fun of him. And what does he do? He lashes out with his fists. He gets in a bar brawl. And all the other guys in his fisherman community join in. And guess what? That makes him a man in their eyes. That makes him a real man, a real guy. The next time he comes into that bar, they're like, hey, how you doing? He's one of the guys now. Why? Because he stood up for himself and he swung his fists when someone insulted him. So the message there is that's how you're a real man. Someone makes fun of you or your wife, perhaps. You fight them. You beat. You get in a fight with them. It's not even that he won necessarily. It's just he got in a brawl. And that made him a man. So. You know, the idea that Will Smith 
did this. We think it's boorish and unacceptable. There's a lot of people that don't. And that's the message of Coda. A, a real guy fights. Well, you make in fun that of moment me, I'm of going Coda. to fight. Well, that's the moment of Will Smith. He insults your wife. You fight him. That's not my code. That's not my way of living. I've never hit anyone in my entire life. I think it was outrageous and wrong. I don't care what he says, but this is not exactly an unusual sentiment. And look at the best picture of the year because that's the message they send as well. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, is that your an own? An interesting it, point. That's an interesting point, right? Yeah, no, I, I think I it wish, is. I wish I thought of it last week. It's like, yeah, what happened in the best film? The guy got insulted and he swung with his fists. So, you know, Hollywood has made a movie about Gandhi. But it's made a lot more movies about Rocky, hasn't it? <laughs> so, you yes. know. Oh, look, look at that. That rhymes. You're a poet. You didn't know it. It rhymed? What did? Rocky Gandhi. Gandhi, Gandhi, oh, Rocky, Gandhi. Maybe an, maybe an off rhyme. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they both end in E. E, Gandhi, Rocky. Gandhi, Rocky. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but, uh, of course, Gandhi's no longer with us, uh, along no. with some of uh, the 928 people that you have. All right. Yeah, this, 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 uh, I'm sorry. I feel like it's highlighting people of color and women that we don't hear about or know about is important. The Times has been doing that. And so everybody will talk about, you know, Estelle Harris from Seinfeld Dine. Uh, so that's cool. The other people are not as well known, perhaps. Or the boy band singer. Boy band singer Tom Parker died at 33. He died of a brain tumor. He's 33. Most Americans probably don't know him. He was in The Wanted, which was a pretty big UK boy band for a few years. They got they got like 10 top 10 singles, three top 10 albums. They had their heyday, and then it faded away. And he was still doing reality TV and other stuff. But his illness brought the band back together for one final gig at the Royal Albert Hall in 2021, and now he's died. So that's sad. Um, but People know him. And Estelle Harris, you heard about her everywhere, right? Oh, absolutely. She's uh, George Costanza's mother and Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> That's right. George! Yeah, yeah, she'll be remembered almost entirely for her role on Seinfeld, even though she voiced tons of cartoons, appeared in all sorts of TV shows, and was Mrs. Potato Head alongside Don Rickles, Mr. Insult himself. But anyway, she gave voice to the mom of George Costanza, a raspy woman who dealt with the antics of her son, played by Jason Alexander, and her husband, played by Jerry Stiller. Her melodrama powered many a classic episode, including the very first one she appeared on, The Contest. That's a way to start out on top. The best Seinfeld episode ever. One of the best sitcom episodes of all time. And there she was. She had caught George doing what he shouldn't be doing when if his mother's going to walk in the room. Anyway, she in, in work, she had to deal with Stiller and Don Rickles. In real life, she was happily married to a window treatment salesman for almost 70 years. So, you know, that's a cool life. But the few of these other people, I, I'm sure are not familiar to you. This is one you might know. Michelle Mater or Matare. Yeah, she's you know a, a distributor. Well, she's a distributor and a champion of independent cinema, especially films by people of color. She died at 67. Her company, KJM3, put out 23 films in the 90s and into 2001. Her project, Creatively Speaking, packaged short films. And she appeared on more panels than you can shake a stick at, I'm sure, tirelessly promoting work that deserved the spotlight. She fought for Raoul Peck who went on to direct the documentary, I Am Not Your Negro. And one of her first successes remains a landmark 
of independent cinema. And that's Daughters the movie, of the Dust. Daughters of the Dust, probably the yeah. first film by a black woman to enjoy a wide release. It's now on the film registry of the Library of Congress. And we've been doing the show so long, we probably mentioned when it went on the film registry of the Library of Congress. <laughs> I think you're probably right, actually. I think so. Yeah, so uh, also an author, Richard Lippes, he died in 83 under the pen name Richard Stevenson. He turned out about 12 novels about a gay private detective from 1981 right up to 2019. He wasn't the first. Joseph Hansen broke that ground earlier, perhaps among others, but he had fun and he, and he, and he did a good job. In fact, his books have been reissued and one is coming out in April, uh, you know, before he died. So it was already in the works. And then there's dancer and choreographer Yuriko Kikuchi. She died at the age of 102. This is a big one in the world of theater. She became a disciple of choreographer Martha Graham and carried that legacy forward for decades after Graham died. She danced in the world premiere of the classic Appalachian Spring with Graham's choreography and music by Aaron Copeland. She starred in the original stage production of The King and I, dancing Jerome Robbins' piece Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is a ballet within the musical. And then she did it again on film, and she would teach that part to successive generations of dancers right up until today. And indeed, she even directed a 77 revival of the show with Yul Brenner and Constance Towers and her own daughter, Susan Kikuchi, in the same role she made famous. She also starred in Flower Drum Song and other stuff, became a full-time choreographer. She got a Guggenheim Fellowship, and uh, that's, that's pretty cool. And finally, I have to mention this. This Marvin is Chomsky. Emmy-winning director Marvin J. Chomsky, died in 92. Do you know him? Yeah, I know of him. I don't know him personally, obviously, but uh, he, yeah, no, I mean, an, he was a very well-known uh, director, especially of, uh, well, uh, you know, toward the end of his career, I think everybody knew him for miniseries. That's right. That was his big thing. He was a four-time Emmy winner. He did TV movies and miniseries, but he began in the 60s and 70s doing episodes of stuff. Gunsmoke, Hawaii Five-0, Mission Impossible, Police Story, and three episodes of the original Star Trek. Fans of Star Trek know him, but his prominence rose dramatically when he directed two episodes of the 1977 miniseries Roots, the TV blockbuster to end all blockbusters, which launched the age of the miniseries, and Chomsky made the most of it. By the way, he, didn't, he got Emmy nominations for Roots, but he didn't win for Roots. He did much better personally in 1978 when he directed the miniseries Holocaust, starring a young James Woods, Michael Moriarty, and Meryl Streep in an early breakout role, beautifully edited. It won every award in sight and was a huge hit. It's one of my favorite miniseries of all time. I'd love to watch it again, but it's not available in its full version. Only thing available on DVD is the edited version made available for syndication, where they cut out like half an hour of it to soften up the horrors of the Holocaust. Not appropriate, people. I would love to see a restored version of Holocaust, a landmark miniseries, had a big impact in Germany, but he did other stuff. He did Attica, Inside the Third Reich, Peter the Great, The Billionaire Boys Club, The Billionaire Boys Club, getting too rushed here. And his final credit, Catherine the Great, starring Jean Moreau and a young Catherine Zeta-Jones. So a nice, cool career by uh, journeyman Narvin J. Chomsky, who went on to direct some of the biggest miniseries around. And one of my favorites, Holocaust. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when the Holocaust was uh, first airing. I remember, oh, yeah, uh, that was... Roots, Holocaust, Masada, every, every six months, Shogun. There was some really good miniseries in the 70s. And, and you can't actually, at the time, you had to watch them live. There was none of this like, uh, you know, oh, I'll, I'll tape it and you know, watch it later. You were there or you did not see it. Oh, and the whole world stopped for, for Roots. And, and these were big, big events, right? If, you, if people got into it, like the Thornbirds, uh, Holocaust, Ro I mean, 
everything stopped for Roots. I mean, that was a truly remarkable, but these others were really big too. Yeah, you, you had to be there in front of your television at eight o'clock or you weren't going to see it. People can't even understand such a thing today. Kids these days, they have it so easy. Yeah, I mean, it's not like us where, you know, the world stops for us as well. When they, you know, people sit down, they, they take, uh, you know, 30, 40 minutes tops out of their day to listen to us. At a time, thirty at a time, 30, 30, 30, 30, 40 minutes. minutes. Are they, they breaking up the show into two parts? Yeah, yeah. It's you know, yeah. That's the way. That's the way you have to do it. And I and I have to um, thank Joe Gaze. He actually uh, contacted us via Twitter to say, "Hey guys, your 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 show is there's some dropouts uh, last week." So oh. I quickly re-edited the, the and remastered the show with the with the proper. Uh, audio. So thank you. Uh, oh, thank you very much. That's great. I really appreciate that. I didn't know that had happened. Yes. And I think he, he reached out to us on Twitter at showbiz sandbox is our handle and we can be reached by email dirt at showbiz sandbox.com. That's D I R T at showbiz sandbox.com. And of course we're on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash showbiz sandbox is where, where our page is. Of course, you could also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. All that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's also where you'll find ways to subscribe to us. We can uh, be found in iTunes, the Google Podcast Directory, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they get podcasts away for free. You can usually find us, and if you can't, let us know. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's show can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz can be found online, and every week he's got something new and exciting for us. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's SaveChannel4.com. Apparently, the UK government is pushing ahead with plans to privatize Channel 4. Nobody asked for it, nobody wanted it, but they're doing it anyway. That seems like a silly move, but uh, you know what? If you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on that website, which probably does exist, uh, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work can be found. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) 